Well, good morning. Our text this morning is from Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16. So if you can turn there or flip in your bulletin. Uh, Let me open us with a word of prayer. Blessed be the Lord, the great God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed you are, O God most pure, pure and holy light, the pure source of everything right. Purify us, O fountain of life, wellspring of wisdom, word of God from the beginning. Guard us by your word, the fortress of truth, the two-edged sword, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Resting in God. Resting in God is hard when the world is constantly offering you its form of rest. We're so constantly uh, distracted by inferior forms of rest, aren't we? And we're so distracted by them that it's difficult at times to seek real rest. Sometimes seeking real rest in God, that is, can feel like work. Because we've been so persuaded that vacation or social media or TV or things like this is real rest. But they're not. They are inferior forms of rest. This doesn't mean that vacations or things like this are bad. They're blessings from the Lord. But we so often disconnect the gifts from the giver. Forgetting that God is the overflowing fountain of joy and gladness, and pleasure. And so rest apart from Him is really no rest at all, but slavery. How many times have you taken a break and got really no rest from it at all? This happens when we seek real rest and joy in the creation itself, rather than in the blessed Creator, who is the giver of all good gifts. We often take the good things God has made and seek from them what can only be found in God himself. And then wonder, and we wonder why our souls are restless. Our thesis or big idea this morning comes straight from the mouth of St. Augustine. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Our hearts are restless until they rest in in God. And our outline looks like this. In order to rest in God, we must trust that God is our refuge, God is our counsel, and God is our pleasure. In order to rest in God, we must trust that God is our refuge, our counsel, and our pleasure. So let's deal with the first point this morning, God as our refuge. The psalmist, who is clearly identified as King David, opens this prayer with a request for preservation. He says, keep me safe, O Lord, keep me safe. And he professes the Lord to be his shelter, his refuge. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge, verse 1. This is contrasted with those who chase or run after other gods. Look at verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. You see, David is finding his shelter in the Lord. He's not choosing to do what others do, which is to seek shelter, to seek refuge, to seek rest in another God. Whether that is a literal idol or something that you make a God in your life, work, a spouse, alcohol, food, money, power, 
Regardless of what it is, David is saying, I refuse to take shelter in anything other than you, Lord, so please preserve me. In verses 8 through 10, we see this idea again. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Then he says, therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. So his flesh is secure because the Lord is his shelter. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. We see here that surely he will preserve us. David asks the Lord to preserve him. And then in confidence, he's proclaiming that he knows that the Lord will indeed preserve him. David trusts the Lord to be his shelter and his refuge. Do we? You will either seek refuge in the true God or a false one. There's no alternative. There's no middle ground here. It is an impossibility to say, well, I don't really trust in anything. You see, we all trust in something. It's either the true God or a false God. Now, when a child is scared or sick, what do they do? What do they want to do? They want to snuggle. They want to get the snuggles. They want to snuggle with their parents, in their parents' arms, sheltered from the pain, sheltered from the storm, sheltered from the bad dream, or whatever it may be. How much more, you see, does God, our creator and sustainer of all things, shelter us? He is surely a loving father. If you are plagued with stress, anxiety, Ask yourself, have I placed my trust in myself? Have I placed my trust in a false God, my income, my family? Or is my trust in the Lord who made heaven and earth? Do you proclaim with the psalmist in Psalm 124? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Do I really believe that God is my refuge and strength? This is the question we have to ask ourselves. Do I really believe since he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken? We must trust in God in the face of our fears and anxieties. We may fear the loss of our jobs or the loss of a loved one. Or we may fear for our children growing up in this corrupt, wicked generation. No matter how valid your concern is, those types of fears and anxieties or sinful excuses did not trust In God, who is our refuge, who has proven to us over and over and over and over again in Scripture and in your own life that He truly can be trusted and is faithful to be your shelter and refuge. Also, notice verse 10 again. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. David is again placing his confidence in the God who is our refuge. But what does Peter... What does Peter in Acts 2 point out? This text, Peter says, isn't ultimately about David. For David did go to the grave. Peter says in Acts 2, his his tomb is still with us to this day. This text, Peter says, is ultimately about the Lord Jesus. And because you have been united to your Savior in his death, In his burial, in his resurrection, in his ascension, 
you can have even more confidence that God is your refuge. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, you were united in Him. United to Him. Jesus was not abandoned to Hades. Jesus did not see corruption. And so we have a Savior, mighty to save, who was raised from the dead. And so true rest is found in trusting God as our refuge in Jesus the Messiah, our true rest. See, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And in order to rest in God, we must trust that God is our refuge. But also, we must trust that God is our counsel. Another way that David rests in God is trusting him as the great counselor. We see this implicitly in verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Part of the reason... People go after other gods is because they are seeking out teachers to suit their own passions, as the Apostle Paul says. This is why people don't want the Word. Many don't want to be in a church where the Word is preached and taught. Instead, they want teachers and counselors that affirm their fleshly desires. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want to trust in God. They prefer to trust in themselves. Foolishly. Well, David rightly knows that trusting in God as our counselor is where true rest is found and where our deepest desires are fulfilled. As he says in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. It's an interesting phrase, don't you think? That in the night also my heart instructs me. How so? Well, if God is the fountain, God is the fountain of all wisdom, and so what he works in us reproduces and abounds all to his glory. And so all the wisdom and counsel that God has given to David abounds and overflows in his heart. We have a heart-changing God, a God that changes hearts. And since he's the fountain of wisdom... David's heart overflows and instructs him in the night. David goes on to say in verse 11 that you make known to me the path of life. You make known to me the path of life because God is our great counselor. The phrase path of life is also used in the Proverbs in reference to the path of wisdom that leads to the good life. You can think of the one who follows the path of life as the blessed man. Perhaps in Psalm chapter 1, the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked and who is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. This is the path of life. This is what it looks like to walk down that path. And notice that you, Christian, didn't find the path of life on your own. God made it known to us. God revealed it to you. You make known to me the path of life, David says. As Jesus said earlier in our first reading in Matthew 11, no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son reveals the Father to. All all that you have has been given to you by God, you see. Any wisdom, any teaching, any intelligence, any ethical discernment, all is a gift of God, for He is the one who makes known to us the path of life. 
was I, when I was in my uh, late teen years in college, uh, my uh, mother's uh, best friend told me something I'll never forget. I'll never forget. This was at a time when I wasn't seeking Jesus as my counsel, to say the least. And uh, you, you probably have heard this before. Uh, you probably heard the saying before, but this was the first time I, I've heard it. She, she told me, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. If you want to know what it looks like to not seek Jesus as our great counselor, then just look at the world around you. It's a world where everyone is falling for anything. We must stand on the solid rock, Jesus Christ. So many people look to substances, to worldly wisdom, or 12 steps to a better this or that. But in Jesus, you see, as it says in Colossians, in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We may look to counseling for help, or psychiatry even, or a a neurologist, or something like this, but those helps separated from God will be useless and ultimately unsatisfying. See, Jesus is whom we follow. He is the one we, we need to sit before at his feet, enrolled in the school of Christ, taking counsel from our great and precious Savior. For remember, one of the titles of the, of the Messiah in Isaiah 9, remember, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. This is your Messiah, the greatest teacher the world has known and will ever know. And so sit at his feet, enroll in his school, for true rest is found in trusting God as our great, wonderful counselor. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And in order to truly rest in God, we must trust that God is our refuge and that he is our counsel. But also, we must trust that God is our pleasure. This is probably something you neglect to think about. When someone thinks about what it means to be a Christian these days, many times what first comes to mind is depriving oneself of pleasure. And surely a Christian is to deprive himself or herself of sinful pleasures. But why? Why? Because we know that sinful pleasure is a lie. It's not really pleasurable at all. They're, they're not really, it's not true pleasure, you see. For the Christian is not to deprive himself of true pleasure, but false pleasure. True pleasure is only found in God, who is the giver of all good gifts. As David said in verse 2, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. All good things flow from the hand of God, who is an overflowing fountain of goodness. We also see that rest is found when we trust God as our pleasure in verse 4 again, implicitly. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Those who chase after false gods never find what they're looking for, do they? They never find real rest. Remember Jesus in Matthew 6, 32. He says, The Gentiles chase after food and clothing and drink, 
I like how the NIV puts it, the Gentiles run after these things. But you see, they run after these things but are never able to obtain real comfort or real rest. Because the source of comfort and rest is ultimately not in food or clothing or drink, but in the giver of those good gifts, God himself. The source of all true pleasure. The source of all true joy. This is why Jesus says right after that in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then the food, drink, and clothing will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. For if you make these pleasures that God has given you, food, drink, or the like, and you make them your God, they will slip through your hands. Brothers and sisters, as it says in verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. This needs to be the attitudes of our hearts. You hold my lot. Verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You see, all goods, all real pleasure, all joy is found in him and comes from him, the fountain of all goodness, beauty, and truth. He says in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And he concludes in verse 11 with the most clear declaration of God as our pleasure and the source of all joy and goodness. He says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness here means full satisfaction. Real satiety, real pleasure, you see, is overflowing from the hand of God, from our great God. And it is because of this that David delights in the saints. Notice verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Do you take delight in the fellowship of believers? Those who find their pleasure in Christ will find pleasure in his body. That's the logic here. Those who find pleasure in Christ will find pleasure in the body of Christ, the people of God. Now we are to delight in God's people because God delights in his saints. He's pleased with what he has worked in you, you see. Why are the saints our delight? Because God is our delight and he is our pleasure and the saints are in him. So many Christians trash the church, don't they? You hear this a lot. And they don't realize that by trashing her, they're trashing her Lord. It's a grievous sin to hate the church. Now, pleasurable things always will let you down, won't they? When you seek true rest in them. If you are restless because you lack joy, lack pleasure, lack satisfaction, and are tired, etc., And you seek a remedy in pleasurable things, not God, dinner with friends, television, movies, wine, intimacy with your spouse, vacation, whatever the good thing may be, if you seek a remedy in the good things that God has given us, then you will be let down. And eventually those very things that you found pleasurable will devour you and destroy you. It won't work out very well. Every relationship I had before Catalina failed miserably. 
She's saying amen. Failed miserably because I sought true rest in those relationships. And the minute I sought true rest in God, he gave me the relationship I was always looking for. Yeah, you good? No. <laughs> Psalm, Psalm 37, 4 says this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. My previous head pastor, uh, Bob Brubaker, deeply desired to play professional football. It was a long time ago. He deeply desired it. He got recruited to uh, good colleges to play football. But then he got injured, and the Lord called him into ministry. And he obeyed, and he went. But he still had this desire to be a professional athlete. Decades later, he realized, I'm a sponsored athlete by SPAM for Ironman triathlons. I'm a professional athlete. God gave him the desires of his heart. He was a professional triathlete, you see. Decades later, it occurred to him, that desire I had, I delighted in the Lord, and he gave me the desires of my heart. The Christian life is a life that is destined for joy and gladness. Know that. Because your God is love, your God is goodness, your God is joy, In his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And a major part of finding pleasure in God on this side of eternity is true worship. In this life, on this wilderness journey, God blesses you with a Sabbath, with a time to be refreshed and consumed with his glory, a time of casting off the cares of the world, Don't neglect it, my friends, and don't underestimate its importance. Can you say with David that you delight in the saints? You see, if you believe at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, your desire for worship would greatly increase. Bill Gates, in a Times Magazine article, said this, In terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. And if we're being honest, sometimes we think about it in a very similar way. In a very similar way. Our culture has been preaching to us for years that earthly pleasure, the fulfillment of your disordered desires, is the highest aim in life. This is part of the reason so many Christians don't see the importance of corporate worship. And then they wonder why they feel lonely, and they wonder why they're constantly battling with depression, which always happens to be winning. But the truth is, your soul needs to worship God for its well-being and pleasure and enjoyment. You see, you can't have true joy without glorifying God. It's simply how you have been made. God made you this way. The God who is love created all things out of nothing and is pouring out his love upon the creation. And we wonder why we're struggling when our hearts are far from him. We wonder why our hearts are restless when they're not resting in him. No, the only way to have real lasting pleasure is to be close to the God who is love, the God that gave you breath. If God is the fullness of all pleasure and goodness, if you have all the earthly pleasures and goods but have not God, you have nothing. Many Christians think Christian ethics is all about don't taste, don't touch, don't do this. 
when in reality, Christian ethics is all about finding our ultimate joy in Christ. You were made for a life of abundance, but that abundance is in God. And if you disconnect it from the giver, if you disconnect the gifts from the giver, then the gifts will fall through your hands. If you disconnect the gifts from the giver, you will lose both. All of God's good gifts are given, yes, so that you may be satisfied and blessed and for your enjoyment, but they all are ultimately to teach you that He is the highest good. I love what Dr. Scott Swain says. He made bread primarily to teach you that He is the bread of life, and you utterly rely on Him, on His words for survival. You would starve without them. He made water so that you may know He is the water of life. He made sheep to teach you that He is the good shepherd. My heart is restless until it rests in you, the giver of all good gifts. You see, all enjoyment and pleasure and goodness in life flows from the fountain of all goodness, pleasure, and joy, God Himself. Anything we have ever enjoyed, anything we've ever found pleasure in, as long as it was a good thing, is a gift from God. The second you disconnect it from the giver, it becomes bitter and loses its sweetness. Jesus is the one who says, as we read earlier, Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All pleasure, joy, rest is found in our precious Savior, my friends. And we will be tired, bitter, and dissatisfied apart from Him. True rest is found when we trust that God in Christ is our pleasure and joy. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And so you see, in order to rest in Him, we must trust that He's our refuge, our counsel, and our pleasure. Christian, the triune God loves you. His fundamental disposition towards you is love and only love. He rejoices over His saints with singing, as it says in Zechariah. Or Psalm 18 says, He rescued me because He delighted in me. Christian, God's love is so full you can be at rest and be at peace and have fullness of joy. And never forget this, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is, as we professed this morning, is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And Ephesians 2 tells us, you, Christian, are seated there with Him in the heavenly places. And one day, you will be at His right hand bodily as our Savior is now. So, Christian... Rest in His love and know for certain that your heart is restless until it rests in God. Let's pray. O staff of my life and strength of my heart, the life of my joys and the joys of my life, I will sit and sing under your shadow and glory in your holy name. For you are good. All praise and honor be to you because Jesus, risen and ascended, intercedes for us now and forevermore. May glory be yours in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever.